Welcome back. You're listening to the front page edition of All Things Considered. I'm Nikkel Smith. And I'm Christina Loeb. On Wednesday, the State Board of Education named outgoing Indiana School Superintendent Tony Bennett as Florida's new education commissioner. As Florida Public Radio's Jessica Palombo reports, Bennett's appointment is met with a strong opposition from the state's largest teachers union and from parent groups. Bennett was one of three finalists the board interviewed this week after 64 people applied for the position Gerard Robinson vacated this summer. Bennett comes from Indiana, where last month voters did not retain him as the state school superintendent. Before taking the official vote on Wednesday, Florida's Board of Education Chairman Gary Chartrand said he happened to be seated next to Indiana Governor Mitch Daniels at a conference last week, and he asked him about Bennett. And his comment was, I'd walk on coals for that guy. So I thought that was a pretty uh, pretty strong endorsement. I didn't have any follow-up questions after that. So. But within minutes of the board's unanimous vote for Bennett, the state's largest teachers union, the Florida Education Association, released a statement saying it was disheartened and disappointed in the choice. Association President Andy Ford says he didn't like any of the finalists, and Bennett's selection shows that Governor Scott and the board have ignored the wishes of parents and teachers. Parents are really not interested in having uh, the same thing continue that's been going on now for the last couple years. Ford says the agenda of reform in Florida, based on former Governor Jeb Bush's model, is trying to accomplish too much too quickly. New types of teacher evaluations and standardized tests for students, as well as a push towards school choice that expands charter schools, are among the union's gripes. And during his interview with the board, Bennett acknowledged these were the same reforms that got him in trouble with the Indiana Teachers Union. I don't think there's any question that many people would say that the Indiana Teacher Unions are, are probably part of the reason I wasn't elected because of m- much of the same blowback. But Bennett says he's committed to winning the hearts and minds of Florida's teachers. He says they just need to get to know him. You know, I am certainly not disappointed working with the Florida Teacher Unions. I look forward to having the opportunity to sit down with them, exchange ideas, enable them to talk to the person as opposed to the persona that they may have heard about from some of their colleagues to the north. So I'll be very anxious to have that discussion. Bennett says no matter what, he always keeps the children in mind above all else. Regardless of where they live, regardless how much money their parents have, regardless of, of their race, Every child has the opportunity to live the American dream, just like my children did. Bennett's appointment comes on the heels of some good news about student literacy in Florida. According to a report released this week by the National Center for Education Statistics, a higher percentage of Florida's fourth graders are reading at an advanced level than anywhere else in the world except Hong Kong. For Florida Public Radio, I'm Jessica Palumbo. As WUFT continues its series of interviews with community leaders, we turn to Marion County's new school superintendent. As Florida's 89.1 WUFT-FM's Denise Toledo reports, 2012 brought budget challenges while the Marion County School Board brought remedies. Although current superintendent of Marion County Schools, George Tommen, was only recently elected, he says he's well informed about the accomplishments of the Marion County School Board in 2012. Tommen applauds former superintendent Jim Yancey for his success in handling the school board's main issue, the budget. I think one of the biggest things that, that we can say that the school system accomplished under Mr. Yancey's leadership is that we continued to uh, uh, handle all the the budget challenges that we had and we did not have to have any serious impact as far as laying off teachers or laying off any employees. Uh, And 
and continuing to have a quality educational experience for all of our students. I think those are things that, that our administration and our whole school system is very proud of. Tomlin says the school board has more challenges to face as 2013 comes around. Florida has joined 44 other states in following the Common Core standards. These standards aim to provide a consistent and clear understanding of what students are expected to learn so teachers and parents know what they need to do to help them. Tomlin says these standards are raising expectations not only for students, but also for teachers. It's increased standards, it's increased complexity for our students, it's increased challenges on our teachers uh, to, to meet those standards. And I think that's the huge thing that we're focusing on, and that is helping our teachers and preparing our teachers to be the best that they can possibly be while they work with our students. We know that that the teacher, once a student gets into school, that the, the teacher and the quality of the teacher and the things that that teacher delivers to an individual child are that the, the teacher interaction is the most important uh, factor as far as student growth and achievement is concerned. So our goal is to prepare those teachers for this very rigorous new curriculum that we're going to be facing. During his tenure with Marion County Schools, Tommen has created what is known as the K-12 Academic Service Department. Tommen says this is essentially a merger between what were formerly the Curriculum Department and Staff Development Department. Those two groups uh, are meeting. We have the same, basically the same people in those areas, but we have actually relocated many of them. They were all on one geographic campus at one time, or most of them are in one area. We've actually put them in the same offices together. We had a big fruit basket turned over here. And uh, we moved people, so they're actually talking to each other and sitting next to each other. We have a great planning team that is uh, that is orchestrating this. Uh, I've uh, elevated a couple of other folks to, to this new coordinating position, and uh, they're taking this thing with big guns, and they're having a great time doing it and doing a marvelous job in integrating and working, uh, integrating our staff development and curriculum departments. Tomlin says he expects the budget issues to continue. He says he understands the economic challenges are being felt worldwide, and they trickle down into Marion County. Expecting the same budget as last year, Tomlin says he will need to watch dollars very carefully. We're going to be examining the programs that we offer, whether it be a computer program or a a purchase service, whatever it might be. We're going to be determining uh, where we get the greatest bang for our buck as far as... uh, uh, achieving student achievement, and we're going to probably be eliminating some of those special, uh, uh, whether it be a computer program or a, a certain kind of curriculum. We'll be looking very carefully to see what, what works best for us. In addition to watching spending and possibly cutting programs, Tommen says the Marion County School Board is currently in a hiring freeze. As 2013 approaches, Tommen says he wants to focus on communications and getting the community excited about the great things they are doing. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Denise Toledo. We'll have a second edition to our year in review series with community leaders coming up in the second half of the show. It has been a very busy year for PolitiFact. A presidential election year creates a target-rich environment for fact-checking. Suffice it to say that there were a lot of candidates for PolitiFact's lie of the year. PolitiFact's Angie Holen talks with Craig Kopp from member station WUSF about how PolitiFact chose what they call the most significant falsehood of the past 12 months. You know, we had a good, vigorous debate here at PolitiFact, but then we did settle on one. And drumroll, please. Without further ado, Angie, here is PolitiFact's Lie of the Year 2012. 
Obama took GM and Chrysler into bankruptcy and sold Chrysler to Italians who are going to build Jeeps in China. Angie, why is that statement PolitiFact's lie of the year? Well, the ad makes it sound as if Jeep is moving its production to China at the cost of American jobs. That was false. What it was doing was restarting production in China to sell to Chinese people who wanted to buy Jeep. So it was actually a success story. Uh, for Jeep. This was a late campaign ad trying to put Romney over the top in Ohio. Did not work out that way. Yeah, there was an interesting timeline because what happens is uh, in the final days of the campaign, Bloomberg puts out a story saying that Chrysler is going to be looking at, at going back into the China market. A few days later, it's picked up by a conservative blogger and twisted. The Bloomberg report is twisted into this idea the Jeep is moving its American production to China. Then Romney makes a comment that night at a campaign rally, uh, this this incorrect comment the Jeep was moving its its production. And then Chrysler comes forward and says, no, this isn't true. This is wrong. Uh, the spokesperson said it is a leap that would be difficult even for professional circus acrobats. But nevertheless, the Romney campaign then put, comes forward with this ad that, again, gives voters the exact wrong impression. The most significant lie of the year. Give us a little more about why this one is so significant. Well, while we were reporting this story, we called a lot of people in Ohio and talked to some political science professors who who watched the campaign we talked to strategists on both sides and and pretty much everybody said that this was an ad that backfired it was trying to change the dynamic romney was was losing the state of ohio he was trying to change that picture for himself um, but people in ohio knew it wasn't true in fact people in ohio i think knew before People in the rest of the country even heard about the story because they asked their friends and family, hey, is Jeep closing down its production in Toledo? And and were told immediately, no, that wasn't the case. Angie, uh, PolitiFact has a tough job, uh, and I know that. Uh, uh, take some knocks on occasion for trying to make a black and white judgment, a true or false judgment on statements that uh, could be subject of debate. I'm not sure this one in particular is, although I bet I could go out right now and get a debate over, well, they are going to be building Jeeps in China. So there was something true in that. You know, Craig, what we do is we go back to our methods. In our stories and our fact checks, we write our logic out very clearly. We list all of our sources. People can easily look at our work and see how we arrived at our conclusions. So we hope that when people read our fact checks, they get something out of it, that they understand what the issues are. Now, um, do we all agree? We have several ratings on our truthometer, and I think we could all argue over whether something should be uh, mostly true or half true or half true or mostly false. Uh, but, you know, we just see it as part of our our mission of accountability journalism, of keeping elected officials accountable. And hopefully we're giving people the information they need to make decisions in a democracy. Angie, it's the lie of the year 2012. We've still got a little of 2012 yet to go. We've got the whole fiscal cliff debate yet to come. Do we start looking at lies of the year for next year now or the first of the year? <laughs> uh, I'm going to personally give myself a break until the first of the year. Angie Holan of PolitiFact, thanks for filling us in on the lie of the year. Thanks so much. Welcome back. 
A new addition to UF and Shands facilities is designed to make it easier for patients in northwest Gainesville to receive medical care. As Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM's Adam Pages reports, Shands administrators say a population growth in this area has created the need for more convenient health care. Dermatology, cardiology, women's health, and many other specialty practices are now available in one place. A new addition to UF and Shands Health Centers opened today on Northwest 39th Avenue. President of the UF and Shands Health System, David Guzik, says the facility satisfies a growing need. Our investment in these facilities is making a significant economic impact uh, in our community. The Gainesville population is growing, particularly in the northwest quadrant of the city, which is some distance from our main hospital. Guzik adds once the building is fully operational, he expects physicians to have nearly 200,000 annual visits from patients. As soon as patients enter the four-story Spring Hill building, they'll notice a large amount of sunlight shining through the west wall. Dean of Medicine at the University of Florida, Michael Good, says this feature is designed to give visitors a reference point so it is easier for them to figure out where they are in the building. The front of the building is full of glass on the, the west side, and so when you come out in a hallway... You know, sometimes you get in a hallway and you can't come in this way or that way. So the light will naturally pull you to the side of the building where all the, the vertical transportation, the elevators and the stairwells are. However, Good says the new facility will also house some of the nation's top doctors. World-class physicians will be sitting in exam rooms with patients and providing just exceptional care. Good adds all of these additions to UF and Chance facilities are meant to make things easier for patients. Good says one feature most likely to impact patient visits is the integration of records between all Shands practices. Your records will be available to the specialists here, and as soon as the specialists become involved in your care, uh, that activity will be immediately available to your primary care physician and to you. If you haven't been getting care in our system, uh, the MyChart aspect of our electronic health record is a wonderful addition. However, this center won't be the only new healthcare institution popping up in Northwest Gainesville. Earlier this week, UF and Shands announced the plan for a $10 million emergency room to be built in the same region. Reporting for Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Adam Pages. Florida A&M University has once again found itself in an uncomfortably familiar spot. The school has been hit with a probation sanction by its accrediting body. Florida Public Radio's Lynn Hatter reports Wednesday interim university president Larry Robinson met with concerned students, faculty, and alumni. The Southern Association of Colleges and Schools accredits FAMU, and it placed the university on a one-year probation, citing concerns over incomplete audits, administrative qualifications, hazing, and faulty oversight of monies related to the university's band program. Interim FAMU President Larry Robinson says the school has already addressed a number of those concerns, but he also says the university will start review to make sure people in current administrative positions are qualified to be there. And one of the things that we did say, we're going to have to review the academic credentials, the qualifications of everyone in an administrative role at the university. So first of all, that they're qualified, the ones that we do have, but not only that, to show that the process that we have in place will ensure that those that we bring on are qualified as well. 
The issue of the incomplete audits and administrative qualifications are tied together. The school fired its former auditor, Charles O'Dor, after discovering the audits done by him contained missing and fraudulent information. But students like Kachi Ukpabi say they believe the probe should go deeper and include faculty and staff of the various departments. I'd rather somebody who gets to a certain position who's a qualified individual, not because old because they're black or old because they're from FAMU, but just because they're a qualified person, period. The university is still awaiting a written notice by Sachs, which will provide more insight into the probation sanction. Sachs officials say they will release their report sometime next week. The university remains fully accredited despite the sanction. For Florida Public Radio, I'm Lynn Hatter in Tallahassee. You're listening to the front page edition of All Things Considered on Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM. I'm Christina Loeb. And I'm Nikel Smith. The Florida Public Service Commission has ruled this afternoon to approve a pending rate increase for Florida Power and Light. This isn't your ordinary rate request, though. The agreement formed by FPL and a few of their larger customers, like the military bases, the utility serves would not only allow FPL to increase their rates for the coming year, it would allow the utility company to raise rates twice between 2014 and 2016, as well as increase their profit margin from 10% to 10.7%. Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM's Chip Scambus reports why a group of state legislators fears this may be setting a dangerous precedent for future rate increase cases. A bipartisan group of Florida lawmakers is urging the Florida Public Service Commission to vote down Florida Power and Light's pending rate increase agreement. Representatives Michelle Raywinkle-Vasalinda, Mike Fasano, Dwight Dudley, and Daphne Campbell have formed a coalition which aims to bring more legislative oversight to the Public Service Commission. The members of this group each have different yet similar reasons for opposing the agreement. Representative Fasano says the rate increase request is far too high. Under the proposed settlement, Florida Power and Light, we get a, a rate on uh, on their equity of 10.7%. And that's that's above the 10% that they're getting now. What what individual today uh, is able to walk into a bank, into a, into a uh, in, uh, you know, uh, any place uh, for that matter where they invest their money and be guaranteed 10.7% on their money? Uh, if, if, if there is one, please let me know and let everyone else know so we can move in that direction, but there isn't. One common reason all the group members are concerned involves what approving the rate increase could mean for other rate increase proposals. Representative Fasano says this could undermine the PSC and the regulatory process. This is precedent that's being set here uh, by the Public Service Commission. If they vote uh, to agree on this, in my opinion, a settlement that had very little, almost no uh, public inputs, uh, public hearings on. And this would set a, 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 a wrong precedent if this were to go into play and allow other utilities to come before the Public Service Commission or just go to their staff and say, hey, you've done it with pub, uh, uh, Florida Power and Light. We want to be treated the same, and therefore we should be able to ra- increase our rates with little or no public comment. The Public Service Commission came under fire from former Public Service Commissioners Nancy Argenziano and Nathan Skop, who claimed their denial of a rate increase to FPL in 2010 led to their removal from the PSC. Both Skop and Argenziano say the PSC is caught up in a system riddled with conflicts of interest. Legislators choose the potential Public Service Commissioners while receiving campaign contributions from the utility companies. 
However, Representative Fasano says he suspects very few legislators support this deal in particular. I would be shocked, though, that if you were to call any senator that uh, serves the area where Florida Power and Light uh, serves its customers, I would be surprised if any senator, for that matter, any legislator would support uh, the proposal that is being uh, that is going to possibly be adopted by the Public Service Commission on Friday. Uh, this is just outrageous. Representative Ray Winkle Vasilinda acknowledges the system may cause problems within the legislature between those who choose the Public Service Commissioners and the members of coalitions like the one she is on. Well, we'll have to see how this plays out. That's, that's all I, I can tell you. Yes, I'm very much aware of the issue of the money that's in the system from the utility companies. Given that legislators on a nomination committee select PSC members, Ray Winkle Vasilinda says while this bipartisan group cannot directly influence PSC proceedings, it can explain this rather arcane issue to consumers. What we can do is uh, keep a focus on the Public Service Commission and what they're doing. I mean, it is part of our job, whether we're on that uh, committee or not, it's our job to be watching what's going on in the state with regard to um, the utilities, with regard to energy policy, with regard to our constituents and ratepayers. So this is extremely appropriate action, and, and I think uh, you know some of us have not uh, found our way to this issue before, um, but uh, we're going to try to build up a, a group of legislators in a coalition uh, that have similar interests. The PSC is currently in proceedings to decide the rate case and will vote on whether to approve the rate increase later this evening. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Chip Scambus reporting. Congressman Bill Young is among many in Congress demanding more information on the Benghazi raid that killed U.S. Ambassador Christopher Stevens and three others from the State Department on September 11th. WUSF's Bobby O'Brien reports that Young has the added incentive of representing the father of one of those killed. Congressman Young says he's attended all the classified briefings on the Benghazi raid and he's been told the same thing over and over. It's under investigation. I don't know how long it's going to take to investigate, but the people of America basically are demanding answers. My constituents are demanding of me that I get the answers. One of his constituents, Ray Smith of Gulfport, is father of Sean Patrick Smith, a 10-year veteran of the State Department killed during the raid. All I know is that the compound was attacked. They had no weapons to protect themselves. They made calls for help. They couldn't get it. Smith, a Vietnam veteran, was at the Bay Pines VA Hospital where Congressman Young had arranged to have a family counseling room named in his son's honor. When the proclamation and photo were unveiled, Smith hugged it and then stepped back and saluted his son. I'm Bobby O'Brien in Tampa. God bless you, Sean. God bless you. God bless you, baby. Continuing on our series of community leaders, Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM's Dana Winter interviews Alachua County Commissioner Chuck Chestnut on his reflections of 2012 and what he looks forward to in 2013. With the year coming to an end, former state representative and current county commissioner Chuck Chestnut reflects on 2012 and looks to what 2013 may hold. He begins talking about water conservation. I think that the that is a very, very good issue uh, to deal with. I think that uh, you have some areas who are doing water conservation uh, and doing the things and um, 
and some areas who have very good comprehensive plans uh, to deal with growth and all of that stuff. So that is a real tough issue. He continues talking about how these water conservation issues exist on a statewide basis. That's going to be, I guess, uh, what, what we call uh, water wars uh, between uh, different counties and, and, and cities in terms of uh, water being transferred from central Florida to south Florida and toward north Florida, toward Jacksonville. So those, those are going to be some very, very contentious issues and discussions that's going to have to occur. In 2012, state budget cuts were a major concern. Chestnut talks about keeping programs in schools. I think that, you know, folks, it's like anything else. You have to lobby the legislature for those things that uh, you want in your community and the funding that you need. Uh, You know, everything is run based upon the budget. Uh, State government is definitely ran by the budget. If it's not in the budget, it's not going to happen. So, So one of the most important things is to do, you have to lobby uh, your local delegation and, and, and emphasize to them the importance of having uh, arts in our, our programs and in our community uh, and how it benefits our children and all that stuff. So you have to continue to lobby. You have to continue to write letters, emails. He continues talking about how budget cuts will continue to be a major concern in 2013. One major issue this year was a case from Summer. The Zimmerman case sparked a large controversy towards the Stand Your Ground law. Chestnut explains what he thinks will happen with the Stand Your Ground law in 2013. I think that I heard some legislatures might uh, propose a bill uh, to address that issue, but I don't know if that's going to go far uh, in the legislature this year. You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a real tough issue there to deal with. Uh, and I, I don't know if that's going to be one of the priorities of the speaker or those members who want to file a bill to that. Out of all the cases in 2012 and what is to come in 2013, Chestnut talks about a major issue to watch. The, the issue of the closing of uh, the prisons or privatizing the prisons, I think that that's going to be an issue uh, this year with the legislature to deal with. Uh, I know we dealt with that. Uh, in 2012, so that's going to be a reoccurring uh, issue, I, I believe. Uh, and of course, currently locally, uh, Alachua County is is one of the um, facilities that the Department of Correction closed, which is on 39th uh, Avenue. He continues talking about how the Department of Corrections closed. Chestnut explains what the city of Gainesville and Alachua County may have planned for that space. I know that the city of Gainesville and I guess the county now and talks about supporting an issue for a homeless center uh, uh, for uh, that location and all of that stuff. So that's going to be an issue to deal with the state uh, to see if the state is going to surplus that property so that the city and the county uh, uh, can look at purchasing it or something like that. With all of these issues on the table, 2013 looks to be an event-filled year. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Dana Winter reporting. While the fortunes of the rest of the nation seem to be improving, the foreclosure situation in Florida appears to be getting worse. As Phil Lotzman from member station WLRN reports, for a third month in a row, the state leads the nation in that dubious category. 
The bill filed by Republican Representative Jimmy Smith says a graduate must stay and work in Florida six months for every semester the Bright Future Scholarship is used. If the bill passes the Florida legislature next spring, graduates must show proof of residency and employment each year. Students on Bright Futures who don't finish school would also have to reimburse the state. The proposal makes some exceptions. Military members on active duty would be exempt. The new restrictions would take effect in two years, at a time when Florida's unemployment rate is forecast to still be above 8 percent. Still unclear is how the Florida Department of Education would get the money back from graduates who have to take jobs out of state. I'm Gina Jordan in Tallahassee. While the holiday season is a time for celebration, it is also a time in which there is a noticeable increase in the number of drunk drivers on the road. Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM's Caitlin McGrath has more on what Florida law enforcement agencies are doing to crack down on drunk drivers. Florida law enforcement agencies are planning a holiday crackdown to stop impaired driving and save lives. This crackdown is a result of 920 alcohol-related fatalities in Florida resulting from motor vehicle traffic crashes during 2011. According to Karen Smith, Department of Transportation Safety Public Information Officer, nationally in December, approximately 30% of all fatalities in motor vehicle traffic crashes involved alcohol-impaired driving. I think with the high number of impaired drivers, it became apparent that there was a need to focus on impaired driving in the holiday season. Smith contributes people's behavior to a lack of awareness of both the severity and consequences of drunk driving. Smith also explains alternative options to keep in mind when going out this holiday season. I think people feel like they are safe, but maybe um, other people might not be as safe, so they think that they're fine. They don't realize that their um, blood alcohol content level is, is high and that they need to plan ahead. But there are some simple steps that people can take. I mean, if they plan ahead, if they arrange a, a driver, um, if they take public transportation, find another way home like a taxi, and just be responsible. I think people need to realize that that applies to everybody, not just someone else. According to Smith, the most important thing to remember this holiday season is to be safe and informed about the severe consequences of driving under the influence. I think the most important thing to remember is just to plan ahead and to be safe and to remember that we are increasing the state of Florida and our law enforcement partners are increasing their DUI checkpoints and saturation patrols. So if they stop you and you are drinking and driving impaired, you will be arrested. No warnings, no excuses. The crackdown is from December 12th to January 1st to ensure safety on the roads during the holiday season. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Caitlin McGrath. Welcome back. The Marion County Board of County Commissioners, in cooperation with the City of Ocala, Marion County Sheriff's Office, as well as other government agencies and community with a heart, are holding a food drive tomorrow, December 14th, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Ocala Downtown Square. Public Information Specialist with Marion County Board of County Commissioners, Elaine McLean, says the food drive is being held to help restock the shelves of the Salvation Army, Interfaith Emergency Services, and Brothers keeper so they are able to help the area families this holiday season. As the holiday season is approaching, uh, we know the local charities have seen their food supplies dwindle, which makes it difficult for them to meet the community's needs, especially this time of year during the holiday season. McLean explains who these donated items will be given to this holiday season. 
We're partnering also with the Community with the Heart organization, which will distribute these goods to Salvation Army, Interfaith Emergency Services, and Brothers Keeper. So any of the area residents who are assisted by these organizations will ultimately receive the food and toiletry items that are donated. McLean adds residents can bring non-perishable food and toiletry items to the Ocala downtown square on December 14th and enjoy a cup of hot chocolate courtesy of the Marion County Sheriff's Office. While at the University of Florida, Gator swimmer Gemma Spofforth racked up 25 All-American honors, 13 Southeastern Conference honors, 11 SEC championships, one world championship, four SEC records, and nine school records. As a member of our sister station ESPN Radio A5900, Tori Petrie reports, the former Gator standout and British Olympian has returned to UF, this time to help people not only in the pool, but out of the pool as well. On the University of Florida swim team, it would be easy to say new assistant coach Gemma Spofforth is great for the job because of her impressive swimming resume. Former Gator, British Olympian, and world record holder. But Gemma says she doesn't feel the need to be defined by her identity in the pool. I've got more to give and I've got more to do in my life and I want to take that next step forward. The English swimmer retired from competition after placing fifth in the 100 backstroke in front of a home crowd at the London Olympics. In her new role as a volunteer assistant coach for Florida Swimming, she'll be helping out on deck alongside head coach Greg Troy instead of being in the water. But her main responsibility is a role she's quite familiar with, counseling swimmers. She's back at the University of Florida to earn her graduate degree in counseling, but associate head coach Martin Wilby says she's been a listening ear for teammates ever since she first became a Gator. She's able to sit there and maybe you just need somebody to talk to. She gave you that ear to talk to without rushing it or butting in. Maybe it's because Gemma knows firsthand the importance of supportive coaches. Her journey hasn't been easy. After a health condition almost ended her swimming career in 2005, Gemma recovered only to lose her mother to cancer two years later. Gemma says her mother was always her biggest supporter and she still inspires her today. This is one quote that will stay with me. Aim high, darling, and you'll reach your dreams. Um, and so that's always something that stuck with me and I've always aimed high because of it. Now helping others like herself is her main focus, whether it's at the pool or a different arena. Gemma started volunteering at the Alachua County Crisis Center in her undergrad years. Now she plays a key part in their support system, answering phones for the crisis line and even staying on call through the night to respond to emergency situations like suicide attempts just to help people when they need it most. Crisis Center Director Dr. Marshall Knudsen says Gemma's skills in the pool are what make her work so well with people in crisis. What probably makes her a world-class athlete, uh, that passion and that commitment and that drive and that dedication uh, and that willingness to risk, those are the qualities that we see in her here. Now, Gemma hopes to take her passion for helping people international with an organization called Right to Play. The organization teams up with popular athletes like hockey's Alexander Ovechkin, soccer's Frank Lampard, and Jacksonville Jaguars' Aaron Ross to help teach children how to use sports to overcome obstacles in life. She's currently training to climb Mount Kilimanjaro to raise money for the program. Wilby says it's no surprise Gemma wants to find new ways like this to help. Helping people is in her DNA. That's what she likes to do. Add that desire to the top of her resume. For ESPN Radio 850-900, I'm Tori Petrie.
Florida officials are moving forward with a plan to purchase new land in the panhandle aimed at protecting the state's waterways. The new parcel will be paid for with money given to the state for deep water horizon recovery efforts and will work as buffer land protecting water resources in the area. Jeanette Bowman with the Nature Conservancy says she is excited to see the state's efforts to protect Florida's resources and hopes to see similar efforts continue. There are many opportunities uh, for partnerships both with Florida Forever Money and with you know any other um, resources that, that we can bring to bear to, to purchase and protect these properties. The purchase is part of a larger work plan the Department of Environment Protect- Protection presented to the Florida Cabinet earlier this week. Thanks for tuning in to the front page edition of All Things Considered. This has been a broadcast of Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM. I'm Christina Loeb. And I'm Nikel Smith.